Welcome to Constructed Curiosity, a podcast that aims to expand your horizons and promote personal growth by exploring various topics and having conversations with extraordinary people. I'm your host, Casey Sprague. Thank you for joining me, and let's start the show. Hello, and thank you for joining me on Constructed Curiosity today. Today is my guest is one of my really good friends, and he's an awesome person to talk to. Doug Shaner. Doug, how you doing? Good day, Casey. Very good, thank you. As always, awesome talking to you. So how's the weather in Huntsville, Alabama? So funny you should mention that. Um, it's it's St. Patrick's Day, which means whiskey, but the weather outside is miserable. Um, oh. We have had, we've, we're knee deep in spring, trees and flowers are coming into leaf and flower, Yet tonight we're going to have to spend an hour covering all the shrubs and plants that we bought and planted in the last year because of a hard freeze. So it's nuts. So you're right there in the same the issue year. that we're having then, because yeah, it went from 55 yeah. this morning to now it's like 36. Yeah, it's hilarious. Uh, talking to my partner this morning saying, you know that the high today is going to be at 10 a.m. and then it's going to drop, right? So, yeah. Yeah, that kind of stuff never makes sense to me. I, I don't understand what the, where that comes from, how that happens. You know, I've taken some weather classes and they explain it to you. But at the same point, it's like, you know, day's warmer than night, but sometimes not, I guess. Yep. And it's, it's going to be quite chilly here at night in the 20s the next three nights. So it's going to be fun making sure everything gets covered and protected and hoping that we won't have to replace them so that's unseasonable there it is it is and i don't know i mean i didn't even wash my car so i can't say i pissed off the snow demons so um yeah it doesn't make sense so doug give the listeners a little bit of background on yourself okay so youngest of four boys to i would say a a typical family. Um, my parents uh, raised us in Yardley, Pennsylvania, which is close to the Delaware River, uh, across from Trenton, New Jersey. Uh, Yardley was a fly speck of a town. There was really nothing there, although others would probably say that it was a a a rich area. I would never have considered my family or parents rich. Um, my dad worked for RCA Astro the bulk of the time that I was around. Um, my mom, after I was out of elementary school, actually went to that elementary school and worked in the office for years until dad finally retired in the, in the late 80s. And um, God bless him for putting up with four boys. Um, <laughs> went to, graduated from Pensbury High School, which having listened to some of your prior uh, chats, um, like one of the key individuals who was an influence at that time was a music teacher who I met uh, when I went into junior high and was in choir. He talked me back into joining choir, which was fine because I certainly didn't want to listen to my mom and take typing, which clearly never helped anyway. Um, and I was in his company and his I, influence sounds too harsh, but he was a good man and he he was a really good inspirational fellow. And um, we kept in touch for a few years after high school and then, you know, time moves on. And uh, I am a firm believer of a term called friendships have their seasons that sometimes they fade, but then they come back in, into play. With a lot of folks that I know, it's really a case of not so much a friendship ending, but things might go quiet. But then in time, you know, paths recross, we pick right up where we left off and, and then run. Yeah, I've definitely noticed uh, that. I mean, the profession I was in for a long time with the military, you had people that you were very close with, you saw every day, you spent a lot of time with, and then one or both of you move somewhere else and you just kind of talk for a little bit and then things kind of 
dry up, but yeah, I'd imagine with a lot of those people, if I'd spend time with them again, it'd probably be right back to the same level of friendship pretty quickly. Yeah, it's, it's, well, it has to be a two way street, of course. And hopefully, hopefully we're, we're still able to go in the same direction together. Um, so I, I attended Millersville University of Pennsylvania back in the eighties, not to date oneself too terribly. And to be honest, when I went to college, I didn't go to college for any specific degree. I went to college to figure myself out. And I majored in English lit. Uh, actually, at the time, I wanted, I was considering the idea of becoming a professor, which uh, led to meeting one of another chief influencers or uh, dear friends uh, who had sadly passed away. Um, his name was Steve Miller. He was an English professor at Millersville. We had known each other. I mean, I, I had him freshman year, and I continued to take classes with him. In fact, I ditched the, the faculty advisor who was my quote-unquote advisor, and I just walked into his office. I said, Steve, can you be mine? And he's like, yep, no problem. And the conversations that we would have, he's like, look, what do you want to do with this? I said, I don't know, be a professor. He's like, you don't want to do that. You absolutely do not want to become a professor because you will be so unimpressed by your peers and your students that they'll never live up to your expectations, he said. Save yourself the grief. And I, I have to thank him for that because in light of current academia, I can't imagine that I'd still be alive or at least existing in that sphere, given one's opinions and so forth. So, yeah, just yeah, almost, an amazing man. Yeah, at one point I almost became a professor as well. I'd really thought about it from my last company command time. I was like, you know, I gotta figure out a direction. I gotta think about what I want to do. I really like teaching and you know, I had done that a little bit. And kind of a similar situation my mind was my dad. My dad had worked at the university for a long time in different capacities and taught a couple of classes here and there. And he said, it's not a place you're probably going to enjoy. It's very steeped in bureaucracy. And it's just, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's very much a, you just, you feed on yourself and you only promote from within. Mm -hmm. pretty much. It's a, it's not an easy industry and there's a lot of wonderful People who have really succeeded, and I mean, my university I went to was wonderful at uh, Eastern Kentucky, but it was a little bit different than majority of academia, and it probably had its own share of problems. But from a student perspective, I really enjoyed the people I was with. But from a, yep. I've been a professor there, so I don't know. Yeah, it's when I look back, I mean, the bulk of the, the professors that I had, you know, some were great, some were horrible, some were tenured and take that as you will. And <laughs> it, it, it was interesting. And it, 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 it was the education at the time. And it but I graduated with my goal intact that I figured myself out. Not to sound selfish, but uh, one semester, it was actually second semester of sophomore year. I had actually taken a, a summer school abroad program or a, a, an abroad program through Millersville, whereby you would spend actually a year in England. God, I actually talked to a friend of mine to go in, go in with me on that, and he did. Um, but we got over there. So this is, this is 80, 88, uh, fall of 88 in England. And within the first month of taking classes over there, it just didn't work for me. Like I, it, Casey, to go from a regimented like 30 hour of classes a week to at most 10 and a half hours of class a week. And the professors there were like, you know, you even don't even have to attend the classes that don't apply to any papers that you're working on. It was so loose and free that 
as as someone who tends to operate within structure, having no structure at that time was disaster. And like I fell into quite a bit of depression. Um, Rick, the, the, my colleague who had a far better experience than I did, he, he kept a diary, and he he I think he put it online. And I read it, and it's like, wow, he's seeing this and, and writing this and so forth. And uh, very long story short, I'm the uh, to date, I suspect I'm the only person in the history of that exchange program who said, nope, I'm leaving, I'm heading back. So I only spent one semester there and came back to the United States. Um, in fact, I flew back two days before the Lockerbie flight went down. So my parents were getting calls from people saying, oh, my God, was Doug on that flight? Um, if that, again, dates us. But, um, but in the end, I'm glad I did because it led to one of the best semesters I ever had at Millersville. Um, and that this is where I'm getting at in terms of I took a class with a professor named uh, Carl Ambacher who – I wouldn't say he was eccentric, but he was just, he was amazing. He was, he was a hoot. So we had this class and it was entirely on the works of Herman Hesse or Hesse. And that was revelation. Reading Damien was, it was the, I, I guess an epiphany because it was the right thing at the right time. And it, it, everything clicked because of the central theme of his writing was the the goal of life is the search for the self. And it, it's like one of those moments where higher authority and everything just clicked and, and melded into focus. And yeah, that was, that was incredible. And from that point on, things became a lot clearer. And so, let's see, post-college, all sorts of odd jobs, um, mostly retail. Uh, eventually, I was able to join the circus, uh, which was working for the company that sadly is no longer with us called Borders. Um, when I found that Borders existed, I thought I had died and gone to heaven. The idea of working in such a beautiful bookstore, being surrounded by all of that, God, all those books was just like a dream come true. And I'm so glad I didn't know that existed while I was in college because I probably wouldn't have graduated. <laughs> so something I want to go back to, you know, you talked about your journey or your college journey was based on finding yourself. And I feel yeah. like that's something that people lose track of. I know I mentioned it in one of the previous episodes with the guest, but Nowadays, I mean, I talk to people I'm like, yeah, you know, my son or daughter is going to be going to high school and they're taking college classes. They're going to have two years of college knocked out by the time they graduate. There's people graduating high school with associates or bachelor's degrees already. They just rush them right through. They're missing the point. That, and I think you you knew what the point was. And you captured it. College is not a, just about the education. That's part of it. Everybody, you know, getting your ticket punched. My dad called it my entire life growing up. You got to go get your ticket punch. But it's a life experience. If you're taking you know, an 18-year-old kid, and then they have, you know, maybe one to two years of college, if any of that they need to do when they graduate high school, you're robbing them of the, you know, those growing up points and that maturity. And I think you'll be on the same boat as me. Do you want an 18-year-old kid straight out of high school with a college degree at the same time trying to enter the workforce? I sure as heck don't. You're missing the maturity aspect of it. Yep. Yep. Like, to be honest, when I was growing up, I did want to join the military. I, I seriously would have, my dream would have been to be a carrier pilot, you know, flying planes off of, off of, off the decks of carriers. And unfortunately, my eyes are crummy. Um, well, that and the fact that I have this severe allergic reaction to math. Um, and well, that and, uh, lifestyle choices so that in and of itself at the time certainly would have precluded a career in the Navy um, which is fine because that translates into 
other interests and hobbies and so forth in terms of reading about history and, and technology and such. But um, yeah, I'll definitely like, say you, no one prepares you for the math aspect of being a pilot. <laughs> you just want to go out there and fly. Yeah. And then, like, then you get into yeah. a class. Here's a bunch of math, and you're like, oh. yeah, yeah, math and physics. No, sorry. <laughs> yeah, I think you need those to be a pilot. So, um, that's all you but, need. You know, you 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 talk about going into college with. Like, I, I can't imagine growing up in this day and age, taking advanced courses all to get further along. It's like you're missing out on stuff. And being the youngest child in this family, my father was, a, was in a fraternity. My mother, who was the first, the first person in her family to go to college. And all of my brothers were in fraternities, and, and so I landed at Millersville knowing that that was a goal. And in the end, I did join a fraternity. I was a founding brother of a, of a fraternity there at the time. And thankfully, the friendships that I that occurred from that time, many of them still exist to this day. In fact, one of them, one of my fraternity brothers, is technically a neighbor, ten minutes away from me here. So. Proof and also kind of hearkening back to an earlier episode about friendships that that is far more important than any degree or any job, frankly, that these connections that we make, so long as that we can cultivate them and, and nurture them and so forth, and that both sides are are willing to continue. And that's that's far more valuable than any degree, any any promotion, et cetera. That's, that might lead us into an interesting sidebar here, if you'll indulge me on it. Is, you know, those connections, they don't just stop at a certain point. I feel like another aspect of our, our society, it teaches us, you know, you make friends in high school, you make friends in college, and then you they act like you just stop making friends. You know, like those are the people that you're with for the rest of your life. And, you know, I think we're a perfect example of a, you know, maybe it's a microcosm, maybe it's not everybody else, but, you know, met you years, what, a decade after I left college, and, you know, we've become fast friends, and we have a lot of differences, a lot of, not to call you old, but we have an age difference. When you were going to England, I was being born, so there's a little bit of a gap, but it just goes to okay. show that it's relationships. Shots fired, I know. Excuse me while we reach for some Geritol. I think I died a little bit with that last statement. Yeah, shots fired. <laughs> uh, well, you mentioned high school. Like one of my best friends from high school is we're still in touch. And granted, we're both terribly busy, so we don't get to talk very often. But, you know, we picked up We every time we talk, we just pick up where we left off. Hmm. So... Like, so Borders was, Borders was life to me because at the time, you know, you worked a retail schedule, so you were all over the place, and the connections that I made there, that was the social life. So you'd come home, crash, get up, go back to work. And that's fine, especially when you're younger and have that capability and have no ties. Um, but that led to a lot of experience, uh, eventually became a trainer, which was awesome, and opened several stores across the country. And I just wish Borders was still around because compared to the competition, they always were the better option. They missed Starbucks, um, I guess that was the problem, right? Because they had something I'm sorry? Else. They had a different coffee shop. They missed out on Starbucks, right? Yeah, Borders had its own coffee. Yeah, they didn't sell Starbucks. They were they were their own, um, and that was part of the job. You'd get to work behind the cafe, at least in smaller stores. And, man, that was fun. 
I'm just it, assuming it, it, that the social media age killed the fact that they didn't have a Starbucks. Ah, uh, yeah. It's it's funny how as one gets older and looks back at jobs of one's youth, how how much you enjoy them now more so than you did at the time. Um, but it's you know borders had its ups and downs. There were some times there that weren't quite as good and, than others, and that's okay. Um, but that led to that led to another phase of like I tried my hand with a a bank for a little bit, trying to just lift up and move on out of out of that sphere, and that was all about geography and trying to figure out where you know where in life did I want to go. And the funny thing is, is that it was it was a crucible moment because I was living in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, commuting four days a week to Wilmington, Delaware and back for this job at the bank. And my lease was coming up for my job. I'm sorry, for my apartment. And it's like, okay, what do I do? Do I do I risk everything and move down to Delaware where I have no connections, no nothing, on the hope that this job and this potential career shift will be the way I want to go? Or do I sever ties? Because at this point, I was also working part-time at Borders in York, Pennsylvania, so going the opposite direction a couple of days a week. And basically, it was a case of, you know what? The bank and, and Delaware is not the right move. I, I think I need to take a step back, reconsider things, and be stable. So <laughs> I'll never forget the day. I My best friend, and he still is my best friend uh, at the time, he lived in an apartment in York, Pennsylvania. And he, he said, he, we were just having a conversation. He told me that the unit below him had, had opened up. And I said, do you think the landlord or the landlady would let me see it? He's like, absolutely. And like, it was bing, bang, boom. Met the landlady. She said, yes, everything worked out. And then within a week, I had found this job with a publishing company in York, Pennsylvania. So I was able to make the shift still work at Borders part-time, but make the shift to work in publishing on the other side of the books. And that was that was two years, two and a half years, um, around the turn of the century, which sounds incredible to say, um, <laughs> because we're, yeah. Um, and that career was brief. It was interesting. And, and the joy of hindsight is, you know, one looking back, one can now see the threads and, and, and the seeds of issues that are now bearing fruit. But at the time, it, it just it was just like striking a, a, a chord, but nothing clear or concrete. And eventually that was a case where I was laid off permanently with many, many staff there. And at that point, that was a case of, okay, you know, what's next? It's going to be something different. It's not going to be retail. And again, higher authority played his hand. And this is, a, I was out of work. And I then met my partner who lived back in Bucks County where I grew up and on a whim moved back to Bucks County and not in the, not Yardley, but a different area outside of Doylestown. And the funny thing is, is the day after I officially moved in, the very next day I got the call from Aetna saying they wanted me to come in for an interview. So again, like a moment where everything in the universe just clicked and the next piece of the puzzle was was clear. And that led to the longest career of my life so far, um, 16 years at Aetna, which 
when in your previous interviews you talk about regrets and so forth there were a lot of stressful brutal horrific things that occurred uh emotionally personally professionally uh some very good supervisors some absolutely reprehensible supervisors and yet the opportunities through hard work perseverance and just well I know I've told you before that more often than not, if I'm going to persist, I'll persist out of spite. And it's funny, but if I can continue and just get through it, good things might be around the corner. And all the hard work paid off to eventually becoming an executive assistant to a vice president, which was the best job of my life at the time. And it led to further opportunities and connections, which led to my current company. What were the best aspects of being an executive assistant? So it's funny because I was when I was a senior administrative assistant for this one department, it had like at most maybe 200, 250 people that kept kind of dwindling over time. And going to work for this VP, it was like it went from 200 some people to an organization of over 500 to eventually with her promotions into an organization of over 5,000. And it was incredible. It was, uh, it, it allowed me the opportunity to travel with her, which to be honest, the relationship that I had with her was, um, I probably spoiled her as an executive assistant very much. Like the, the woman who used to work for her, all I ever heard was that it, it, it was a disaster. And I'm sorry that, that that relationship did not work out, but I am thankful for the events that occurred that allowed me to expand and grow and, and be helpful. And it, it was just nonstop. I mean, lots of work, you know, learning new things, building relationships, and just, um, you know, no two days were ever quite the same, be it, okay, you're now in charge of basically helping the entire building that we occupied uh, get restructured in terms of they're changing the furniture and redecorating and changing the carpet so everyone's moving around. So we want you to, to help coordinate that for the whole building kind of stuff, which was amazing because that, that's kind of fun, to be honest. Um, just lots, lots of new things and constantly meeting people and great associations. Um, but, you know, over time, other, you, you want to try something new and different, which inevitably led to meeting you. Yeah, so different opportunities bring different perks. And I mean, I've never actually, I don't think we've ever talked in depth about, you know, your executive assistant time. And it just, it sounds like it's a very interesting world. And I mean, I've never had something that could parallel that. But yeah, just getting the opportunity to try lots of new things. I know that definitely speaks to your personality with the creativity and being able to adapt. So I'm glad you got to enjoy well, that time. It's it, it was definitely a case of, you know, you're 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 knee deep within a lack of a better term, a web. And you have an obligation to try to work within that to coordinate things with other leaders and, and their staff and so forth. So when you're talking cross functionally, I mean it can be not necessarily challenging, but you know, you have to build good relationships with people and maintain them. So that way, when, when God forbid you do send up a flare and say, Hey, you know, I need to get X, Y, and Z together next week for half an hour. Can we do this? 
that you have that rapport where everyone's going to say, yep, absolutely. And yes, I guess unfortunately, that I think that's my expectation that when, when dealing with individuals in that in that type of sphere. Well, you're adding a really great perspective there, and I think that's advice you could give is you know, how to manage those different leadership personalities, kind of balance them to help get everything accomplished that you need to. It's it it is a case of trying to maintain a level of positivity, and to be honest, um, it's not something that comes naturally. Like I had when I joined this that organization as an executive assistant, I had the honor of meeting a woman who she was so positive, she was practically effervescent. Um, just, just incredible woman. And I can't thank her enough because just by proximity and, and, and just watching how she interacted and so forth, just was like, okay, if I can, if I can muster just a tenth of what she can do, then, then that will be successful. Not that I wouldn't try harder. It's just that, so incredible and learned a lot about being grateful, being thankful, being magnanimous. And like one thing I try to do very consciously in, in every interaction is I don't need to have the last word. So I, 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 I try my darndest to make sure that whomever I'm interacting with does. And that probably sounds silly, but. I don't think it sounds silly. It shows self-reflection and personal growth. You know, it, it shows that you're able to identify within yourself something that, you know, you want to work on. You've been able to do it. So I want to shift gears here a little bit. And, you know, we've talked about yep. your journey within books. And you've worked on the selling side, you've worked on the printing side. Let's take a peek behind and talk a little bit more about your writing side. So tell me about, about the what? Right, your writing side. Uh, oh, good Lord. Okay. Um, so writing-wise, uh, I consider the volumes of material that I wrote starting in high school up until the point that I met my partner to really be the alternative to therapy. Um, in hindsight, I haven't, I haven't picked up one of my manuscripts in probably about two years, not since we've moved to Alabama. Um, okay, this is gonna sound probably silly. So my writing, uh, I wrote poetry. And uh, so for those of you out in, in in the great vast expanse, please keep your giggles to yourself. I didn't say it was good poetry, um, but uh, I was when I was growing up. The biggest lie I ever told my parents was, "I will never buy records like my brothers." Growing up in the seventies, you know, my oldest brothers had Kiss and Kansas and all these other great bands. And then my middle brother, he was following along, buying stuff. And I was late to that sort of thing, but I'd like to think that I was probably the worst of all of them. Um, but why is this important to the writing? Because the first band that I, that talked to me was Duran Duran. And the album Seven and the Ragged Tiger from 1983 was, it was, again, an epiphany of sorts because of the, the, the artwork, the music, the lyrics, the whole package. And in particular, a B-side from the, the single, you know, the snake called Secret October was, was the single pebble that started the avalanche. And 
I thought, okay, if this guy can write lyrics, so can I. And that's what started it. And it was like, so we're talking freshman year of high school, probably starting to write stuff. And I mean, I'm sure now it is, it's only fit for like fire starters, but um, what came after, I mean, it eventually evolved and grew and so forth. And um, it was, it was, it was an essential outlet towards actually the, the figuring out of oneself. And when I started writing, it began simply. I thought, okay, I'm going to write, the first book is going to be a hundred poems. That was done within several months. And then what came after? And I thought, okay, so it's going to be six sets of six books. So 36. I finished book 35. Book 36 is stillborn because it just happens that I met my partner. And when that happened, when I fell in love, when I tried to write poetry, all I saw was recycled Roxette lyrics. I thought, okay, I think I need to put this down for a while. And I haven't really gone back. There have been a few, a couple of one-offs and so forth that have occurred, but not too much since then. The ironic thing is, is that the very last title, the very last book is called The Terraformation of the Soul, which I think is an awesome title. Well, for any of you listening, I'm considering that copyright. <laughs> you heard it here first. It is, it's not allowed to be taken yeah. by anyone. Yeah. If, if anyone comes up with that title, I know where they got it. So, but. <laughs> yeah, you talked about it pretty perfectly there because poetry is a fickle friend. That's what people don't understand, you know, to be a, I'm a fellow poet and, you know, trying to write, if you don't have the proper inspiration, then you're not going to be able to write the way you want to. You can't convey either your joy or your pain or whatever it is unless that certain inspiration is there. And, you know, and sometimes, especially if you've written about the subject before, it's hard to try to come up with new material with the same sort of experience. And, you know, mm-hmm. then a lot of those, I've, like it's a rapid fire for me as well at times with poetry. I can knock out 20 poems in a couple months just because what was bothering me and what was weighing on me was so present at that point that I could just grab yep. onto it and run with it. Yep. And it's, I, I, I know my, my point of view is kind of skewed because I look at the last several books that were written as, definitely the best work that was ever done. Not that there that I've done. Not that not that there weren't one off poems here and there scattered throughout that weren't potentially decent. I, I I'm sure there were. But just the weaving of of ideas and plot lines and so forth because what what actually happened over the course of things is the evolution of several different voices. Um alternate personas and so forth that came through. And in the end, at least I would say sporadically in the books prior to, there would be these one-off poems with a specific voice and it would be said so in the title or in the byline. Yet it, it ended up that there's a kind of like a novel within this work if, you, if you're following it. So it's kind of fun. So, I mean, that begs the question, before, I'm going to put you live on the spot. Are you ever going to publish any of them? Um, I suspect if anything ever happens, it'll be part of the Dead Poet Society. Um, no, I don't know. Uh, I don't think the industry right now would allow, and I don't know whether I have the wherewithal to self-publish. I, I think it would be neat, but I would need an editor probably to to review and say okay this stays this goes or these are the 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 tweaks that need to occur um because i the only editing that i would do is like spell checking more than anything else at this point because some of the work 
some of the work is set up that the the spacing is is actually a critical thing. Um, like there would be a poem that has three columns, and the question is, how do you read it? Do you read it line by line? You know, do you read it on a on a vertical level? Do you read it on a horizontal level and going down? That's your choice, but it still works both ways. Kind Ooh, one, but I mean, self-publishing, I've done it, so that's something we could talk about in, at another time if that's something you're interested in. And I mean, the industry is, I mentioned it before, it's very difficult to break into, and it's just something that I feel like I've read some of your work. I'm, I've had the privilege of being able to read it, and I think it's very good material, so I think you, know, you should definitely pursue it. Okay. Well, then that's a conversation for another day. Um, it's funny. In preparation of this call, um, I had another idea that I wanted to bounce off of you. And the, the idea was, what if, like, and this would be perhaps a plot line for a story, but the lyrics would actually play into the story. The following a band, of course, a band from the 80s, it would have to be, back when bands were decent. Um, but I'm bummed. Uh, but the idea is is that you have this band that is actually they're they're releasing their albums and they're releasing their songs, but the intent is is that there's actually a puzzle here and there's a message, a higher message in what they're doing. But the thing is, is that the message you're getting these snippets with each album, and the 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 payoff is at the very end. The goal is that after they've released all their music, that you have to listen to all their music in alphabetical order to get the actual message. Ooh, that's intriguing. Yeah, it, it's just a, an odd idea, but like from playing with the idea of structure and so forth, and you know, this could be the game where this poetry could could play into it because. That's all I ever wanted to do is write song lyrics. It's it just so happens that the bulk of it is poetry. And kind of silly, but you know, no, you 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 take one hobby and then you replace it with an, uh, another or an addiction and in so far as Lego is concerned, so no, I think that's a great idea for a book. I'd like to, you know, read it. Sounds like it'd be a fun mystery to try to figure out. Okay. But yeah, so I got a yeah, few I questions. Think... And I think you've, yep, yep. you've cheated and read ahead on me before. So I got to come up with some different ones on the spot here. So I can't use my standard questions. Okay. But it won't be a good one for you. So out of all the places that you visited, which one's your favorite? Places that I visited a favorite. Um, that's brutal. Um, I mean, I love Salzburg in 1985. I loved England for all that it was worth in 1988. Well, I love the record stores. Um, Loneliest place on earth was a beach in England, a uh, little town on the east coast of England. I'm not going to name it because I don't want anyone to come after me uh, in in virtual land. But it was it was amazing. I, I think the the sadness of it, but it was beautiful. It was absolutely beautiful. It, it was just such a, a tone and. Again, you know, in age, one appreciates these things more than they do at the moment. But um, love St. Augustine. Love certain, you know, there's lots of parks and so forth, um, hiking trails. I mean, I, I love Pennsylvania, but I don't quite miss it. I'm, I'm happy to be exploring new lands. And, yeah, there's a lot to explore down here. So... 
So next question, I guess, and I said, since you brought ahead, I came up with a new one. So favorite childhood memory. Okay, uh, I'll give you a couple. One are family dinners. Every night, every night, my family, all of us would sit down, all six of us would sit down at the dinner table and have dinner together. We'd say grace and we'd have dinner. And there'd be conversation, of course. And one of the things my parents would do is we'd play records in the background. So the, you know, we'd be in the, the dining area in the kitchen and in the rec room, you know, in the other side of the house would be the record player, again, dating myself, and, you know, there'd be music play. So there was this, this evening culture, which was so important. Um, and I, I love that. I miss that. I, I, I hope, I wish everyone could have that kind of experience with their family, if they're so inclined. Um, other memories? Uh, just, it was a different time. I, I miss the innocence of, the, of, of that age. Technology, unfortunately, I think has, has uh, changed our minds, changed our abilities. Um, and this goes back to college as well. Like after I left Millersville, Technology started to come into play when I was there on campus. We didn't really have Walkmans and stuff like that. I mean, yeah, you had them, but you didn't wear them all the time. So you were having conversations with people. You were greeting people as you're walking to and from class or going to the dorms. Just a few years later, after I graduated, going back to the same place, everyone had their had themselves plugged in and tuned out. There was no more conversation. So. Sorry for the slight sidetrack. No, that's a great point. And so the last question I'll give you, and this is going to be, usually trying to make this one a really tough one. What are the biggest areas of turmoil or struggle that you had to deal with in your life? Hmm. Professionally or personally? It is your oyster. Okay. Um, professionally, like there are things that I, I still think about, bad times that I think about. Um, one of the jobs that I had when I worked at Borders was counting the tills. So the, the morning after uh, the close of business, spent several hours just counting up the money, making sure everything matched what came in, setting up deposits and so forth. And I did this for several years. And come to find out, the manager of the store uh, suspected that I was stealing money. And in the end, I mean, nothing was ever said to me, but they fired someone who I can't imagine was actually responsible. But in the end, he's like, you know, they were after you. And I'm like, well, it certainly wasn't me because it's not my money. And that just, that just, that, that sticks as does being accused of sexually harassing someone and having to defend myself when it was a, a case of uh, retribution that they were an employee who was trying to get away with all sorts of stuff. So in the end, they tried to throw me under the bus for something that never happened. And that, that was brutal. That was rough. And, you know, something that I don't wish on anyone, being accused of things that you did not do, but to get through that is a massive learning experience. And it's essential. I mean, it definitely, especially if you're in your 20s or 30s, something like that could destroy you. So how do you, how do you lift yourself up and say, okay, you know, 
this is who I am. What do I need to change? How do I survive? How do I persevere? And so you do, or you don't. That's a great, you know, you gotta figure it out and keep going, or, you know, you just give in, it's gonna become a major roadblock. Yep. As, as Emery said in his conversation with you, you know, do you start over and, or do you persevere? And sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. It's just your choice. What works best for you? Yep. Either way, it's gonna, the, you know, the world's gonna keep turning. Life's gonna continue to move on. You can move with it or, you can choose to stop yourself. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Well, Doug, this has been an okay, absolute downer. <laughs> this has been an absolute pleasure to have you on here. But I do want to let you end off on Thank a you. positive note. So I'll give let you have the floor to give your final closing thoughts. Final closing thoughts. I think we hit hit all the notes. Um, I. Regardless of the path that I'm on now, you know, professionally, personally, et cetera, it, it seems abundantly clear to me that the road higher authority puts you on. Sometimes you can see it clearly, sometimes you can't. But to me, the biggest piece of the puzzle that is so important are the connections that you're making along the way. Because you know, you and I only worked together for what, a year? Yeah, roughly. Was it even a year? A little bit over a year. Because I know our conversation has lasted far longer than our professional career together. So that to me is worth far more than, than any job. Um, and maybe I'm a sap and sentimental, but <laughs> that's okay. Um, at least I can use those words in context. So at least I put my English degree into good use. And that, that in and of itself is always the challenge. So. <laughs> no, I, I agree. It's the connections that you make is worth more than anything else. So, sir, it has been, I hope this has been entertaining, useful, a dynamic conversation. So I, I am thoroughly honored to, to, be given the forum to chat with you at least in the recorded aspect otherwise you know you you and i talk all the time <laughs> i enjoyed this as well doug thank you thank you for listening to constructive curiosity constructive curiosity is presented by sfc consulting for all your career coaching project management and leadership development needs SFC Consulting has the insight to get it right. Visit sfcconsultingservices.com for more information.